0: From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Today we're talking about living in a digital world with a professor who teaches at both LeMoyne College, the Madden School of Business, and Syracuse University in the Newhouse School of Public Communications. Renee Downey-Hart has expertise in communications management and performance in the internet age. So uh, welcome. Thank you for being here. It's great to be here. Uh, this digital world—is there any way to avoid it?
1: <laughs> I, I, unless you've got an island somewhere in the middle of nowhere and you can unplug everything, I don't think there is. And I'm not sure that we really want to. I don't think most of us want to go back to the days before we could track our teenagers at eleven o'clock at night or get a quick text on a late meeting. There's a lot of it that's wonderful, but it's a tool. It's not to supplant human interaction, and I think that's where we get tripped
0: up. So, what is? Did what do you mean by digital?
1: Digital is all the platforms that we use, all the media that we use, from our, our phones to our computers to our laptops to our tablets, televisions, radios. Anything that comes out from elsewhere to us is is this digital piece.
0: Anything that needs to be charged at night?
1: Well, most kind of, of them do, don't they? Yeah. It seems like. Most of them. Now,
0: um, so it seems like, I mean, in this day and age, we're sort of forced to live at least some of our lives online, right?
1: Yeah. There's wonderful research on the Pew Charitable Pew Charitable Trust website that does a lot of research on this. And 88% of people think that the internet is good for us, 88% of all Americans, but but only about 70% feel that it has a great overall value. Because along with this connectivity that we have, there are caveats, and I'm not sure that we saw those coming. I also find, and as we continue the conversation, I'd like to talk about how sometimes we know technology can do something, but is it good for the human piece of us just because and it that's can that's the it. balance yeah because we have tech should we be using the tech um, it, for me that the you know the upsides are this amazing connectivity I think it's wonderful one of my one of my Lemoyne students texted me last night at eight o'clock with a question about a paper that was due I could send her back a text in 15 seconds and we're done nobody has to go to email and open it so the, the urgency of that is wonderful but we have to be careful that not everything becomes urgent and not everything becomes instant and that's the world that we're in right now
0: So uh, have we lost some things by moving to digital? Are there things that we've left behind? Sure, sure. I mean, I I think about it. I've I've been interested
1: in this for a long, long time. I was thinking about this, you know, before I had my first um, phone, cell phone. There was a time when, after dinner, what would families do? They'd go out on the front porch in their towns, and they'd connect with their neighbors, and their kids would play on the lawns together and so on. And we had this really wonderful social connectivity that was very organic. We went to um, meetings and events and things that, that you know took us offline and, 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 and kept us in um, you know, connecting with one another in social and business settings. Enter this digital age, and we've kind of gone indoors. This actually started before the digital age, stopping the front porches and so on. And we live in the town to talk about that. Willis Carrier's invention of air conditioning took us from the front porches into our living rooms. And, you know, early 50s, here comes television and so on, which kind of brings us inside even more. But human beings want fellowship, we have a basic human need for one another. Granted, there are hermits in the world, but there aren't very many. And by the way, they're really hard to find to survey, just for the record. <laughs> but, but for most of us, that social peace is an innate human need somewhere along the line. And we have decided to supplant that with going down to our basement to our computers and saying, this is, this is my social peace. And I'm not sure it's giving us all that we really need.
0: Well, which generation, birth years, um, which generation do you think is most comfortable and this is most natural for living online? I'm
1: a baby boomer, and so I had to learn that first computer that sat on my desk, and I missed my Selectric, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners, that's going to resonate for them, right? And then we get into Generation X, which are the people that were born from uh, 65 to 81, and that generation is saying, you know, they're kind of making this transition into digital, But now we have millennials and and these people are digital natives. And by the way, millennials are now between the ages of early twenties and late thirties. So as we talk about millennials, I think a lot of us still think of seeing, you know, that student at Lemoyne walking around campus with their phone in their hand, but truly millennials are all the way up into the late thirties now. They're vice presidents, they're director, they're running the world. And I think we have to stop seeing them as somebody that just arrived from another planet that somebody else raised. Millennials are part of the fabric of us now, but they are digital natives and they're driving a lot of this. They're driving us, um, Virtual meetings and and you know companies that will have uh, a meeting now with Zoom technology or Meetup as opposed to face to face, and although the technology is a wonderful thing and it does link us beautifully, it still doesn't give us that human nuance that you and I have right now sitting in the same room. That eye contact, that level of of you know the human piece. There is a researcher out of Harvard named Edward Hallowell H A L L O W E L L, and he talks about human moments. And he, most of business, really what any of us do, has to do with connecting with other people. And Halawa says that human moments require an emotional presence and a physical presence in a room with one another. Digital lets us get rid of the physical presence, and we lose a lot. We know with our communication classes from, from forever that it's, it's the nuance of the voice. It's the, it's the physical motion of the person you're with. And that human moment thing is what makes us who we are and make no mistake i love my technology i love my tablet and my phone and all things i do i love it but there's a time to say you know what is this what is this and it's a tool it's not the whole of who we are
0: well i saw an estimate that um 4.1 billion text messages are sent each day and so you know we can be in touch with one another constantly basically um do you see that as a positive or a negative
1: I, i think what I see it as is fascinating. You know, I use this quote when I when I start talking about this in a lecture from Socrates, who talked about how, you know, this next generation's going to heck in a handbasket. What are they? You know, and this is Socrates, thousands of years ago, right? And we're still kind of doing that. So for me, um, I I think that it's it's the beauty of being able to connect that we need to embrace.
0: Okay. Well, um, let me ask you this. What is the constant connection doing to our attention spans? Yeah, Yeah. that's that's pretty um, amazing, actually. The average
1: American attention span right now is a very few minutes. And part of that, there was seven minutes for a long time, and part of that was television that gave us a break every seven minutes to do their commercials. Ah. Your subconscious is living and breathing there, right, saying, oh, I'm going to take a break now. So our attention span has been getting briefer and briefer. Now when you look at this next generation coming up, and no one has quite named them yet. I'm hearing generation I, small I, generation Z. Um, This generation coming up, they're talking about it in terms of seconds, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, until something zips or blips or needs to be looked at or you need to check another screen. Every one of us has been in a hallway at our workplaces having a conversation with somebody when the other phone went off and you reach for it. And it becomes okay to interrupt that conversation to do this. So what do we do? Well, the pundits say, well, this is good. We're multitasking. But in reality, the human brain doesn't multitask. It toggles. It doesn't do two things at once. So I think we're losing quality with this. I think with our attention spans dropping, wonderful book by a guy named um, Nicholas Carr called In the Shallows, where he's saying be very careful we're not watering everything down to seven bullets on a PowerPoint to get the message across, because we still need depth. And this idea with all these platforms bleeping is called continuous partial attention. So I'm sitting with you doing this, but at the same time I'm thinking, oh, got to email that student or pick up my dry cleaning or something, because your brain can do this. And it's for us to take a breath sometimes and stop. It's, it's challenging us and changing us.
0: Is it hard for um, students to learn in this day and age when, when there's so much skimming and so much, you know, just the headline here yeah. and the, yeah. or the, you know, the tweet?
1: I think so. I think so. When we reduce everything to 140 characters and we think, you know, this is the news I've got. You you see that every day. This is, you know, just just the tweet or the small piece. And and is it really enough? So the attention span thing is there. The, the watering down of information to get it imparted. And because, honestly, there's, there's just too much. The statistics about what your great-grandmother would have learned in a year versus what one of our students will learn in a week, you know, because they have all these media things. But how do we pick out what we really need? And I think that's the problem for a lot of us. We try to do it all. We try to learn everything and know everything and see everything, and it's just not possible anymore. Are we filtering for ourselves? Because that's one of the big coping strategies.
0: Well, I also want to ask you what this is doing to our notion of privacy mm. because so much is shared online that a few years ago you wouldn't have no. spoken of. It's amazing, goodness. isn't
1: it? That, you know, we had the, the COO of Cisco, um, the the tech people, not the frozen people, of Cisco on LeMoyne's campus um, uh, years ago and I asked him that question and he said what's privacy I mean when I was a kid if I broke up with my boyfriend I would call my best friend now it goes out on Snapchat and everybody knows and and here we are and And I I just think, and you see that in the media every day. I mean, don't you look and think, why would somebody put that out there? Sure. And and it it inhibits other things, too. I mean, we can talk about the joy of our devices and how much we love them, but think about the things that we're missing because of it. Quality time. I mean, that was always a phrase we used to use, right? Mm -hmm. But are you having a real good face-to-face conversation if somebody is blipping. Because when your brain shifts somewhere else, it takes several minutes to go back to the same level of concentration and performance than before you interrupt it. So we set ourselves up in working life. There's even now people talking about shallow work versus deep work. Deep work is when you turn your devices off. How much of our work is shallow now? There's so many parts of this. It also has um, conversations um, on it. And when we talk about our devices, I might be with my best friend, um, out in Rochester, and we text every night for a little while, I've got no nuance to her voice, right? It's, it's, is there context for the conversation that we're having? Um, blind dates aren't blind dates anymore. I can go stalk somebody and know who they voted for and what they look like and whether or not they're allergic to peanuts, and, you know, that's probably good. But, but still, are we not missing those human moments I'm afraid we're losing our personal touch. I, I will go back a little while and tell you the very first time that I was I was doing digital things. I called my grandmother and I said, uh, "You know, this is this is a really interesting way to build community on these digital sites." You know, and this was this was you know 15 years ago, and and her point, and I talked about building community, and she said, "Renee, you build community by going out the front porch with a pop of tea," and I thought, you know. From the mouths of my great grandmother. There's something to that. There's something to that cup of tea. So it isn't for anybody to say we want to get away from this stuff, but we sure do want to use it as intended. If all you have is a hammer, what are you doing?
0: Right. Well, I took my iPhone to Apple recently for a repair, and they said they would have to keep it for a matter of hours. Mm-hmm. And the genius told me <laughs> that this doesn't sit well with teens. He said that some of the teens that have come in and needed repairs would rather, you know, cut their arm off than go without their phone for the few hours that's needed. Does that surprise
1: you? It, it doesn't surprise me because of my students. I do want to backtrack though and say that don't you think it would be a lot of pressure to wear a shirt that says genius on it?
0: Yes. go to work. Okay, just
1: wait. There's actually research saying that there are mental health issues for students whose phones are taken away for younger people. And I'm going to take that right back to parenting. You know, are you allowing phones on at dinner time? One of the biggest indicators of a child's success in school is dinner with their family. Are you talking or are you on your screens?
0: You know, if you can't disconnect for two hours. If you can't
1: disconnect, yeah. Yeah. It's it's unfortunate because what's going to be lost if you can't disconnect for two hours? What are you going to be missing in those human moments that, that Harvard talks about?
0: Well, are there ways to minimize the anxiety and distress that comes from being unplugged?
1: I think it's a different thing by different generations. This digital generation that was born with a phone in their hand is going to find that very foreign, uh, you know. And it's really a pretty simple thing. Can you ever lead an unplugged life? Families can push that to one another. That you know, we have a cottage up north, and for the longest time we had no sing- signal. We played Scrabble and Monopoly and chess, right? A different dynamic than playing Scrabble on my iPhone, which I also do every day, but it, it's different. Um, and also the other thing that we do as human beings in in working, is we don't single-task anymore. I mean, in the work that you do, you're you're planning an interview, but you may also be thinking, "I, I need to talk to this and that person, so can we focus on one thing? And that becomes more and more challenging. Are you prioritizing well? Do you have to check your Facebook right now? Do you set your computer up to blip when a message is coming in, an email? Now, I remember early email. I'm guessing that you don't. But early email, I mean, you'd get an email and you'd think, oh, wow, somebody wants me. This, I mean, subconsciously, right? This is so cool. And then it turns out to be you know, my brother-in-law who says, oh, I got a funny joke. Um, but, but we need to, to use it for ourselves and use it as a tool. And I think that's what we don't do yeah. as
0: well. Well, this has been a very yeah. interesting discussion. Thank you for being here. My guest has been Professor Renee Downey Hart, but from both Lemoyne College and Syracuse University. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, Health Link on Air.